And we're live. We're in it. We're in the labyrinth. Season seven now, Jay, episode one. I'm pumped for today. Seven. Real wow. quick before we uh, introduce our guest, uh, shout out to Ice Shaker and Arsenal Athletics, our two sponsors. You go to our website, redforresponders.org or Ice or Ice Shaker, and you put in Red for Responders, and every Ice Shaker that's purchased, Red for Responders, our nonprofit gets 50% back. So that's a big shout out to Ice Shaker and Chris, Krinkow- Chris Krinkowski. Thank you so much. And also to Arsenal Athletics. You should code RFR for 10% off. Any Anything on the website from barbells to plates to lifting straps, lifting gears. We have our RFR apparel on there as well. That's RFR. You get 10% off proceeds for our apparel. Everything goes back to us. So that's a big shout out to Arsenal Athletics and Phil. And again, RedForResponders.org on our merchandise section uh, is a way to get there as well. The link will be down in the bio. Uh on the podcast platform, and this is going to be on YouTube. Uh, our book, RFR Guide um, on Amazon, right? Red for Responders, Building Resiliency and Conquering the Job. Thank you, everyone who purchased. I think over 300 copies have sold, very close. Yep. And we, get, we get a bunch of 70% back because Amazon takes a little bit, 70% back to our nonprofit. So please, 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 if you haven't got the book yet, even if you don't want it and you say, Frank, go F yourself, just share it for us. Uh, it really, really helps first responders uh, ground themselves and, and learn a little bit more about mental health and fitness and just a little self-care. So that's from the whole reps team. Uh, we have two events come out, two big events for in the, in the New York, New Jersey area. That is going to be our beefsteak, April 15th. It's going to be in New Jersey, Bloomingdale Fireman's Hall, Saturday, April 15th. Please come join us. It's $80. You get unlimited beef appetizers, beer that I will not be partaking in. So if you guys want to drink, you'll drink for me. Water, coffee, soda, uh, little raffles possibly. Going to be a bunch of first responders. It can hold up to 200 people. Right now we have 35. So you're going to have to get your tickets quick because once all the PBA start throwing down and buying tickets, uh, it's going to fill up quick. So this peer support is not just calling Jason and be like, yo, Jay, how you doing? It's actually doing things together. If it's doing the podcast, if it's lifting, if it's going for a walk, if it's hiking, if it's going bowling, if it's the beefsteak, it's giving yourself a break from the job. And hopefully when you're at the beefsteak and you're doing these things, you're not talking about the job 24-7. Then May 20th, we have our Fit for Duty event. Again, Jay's going to help us out with that. It's ran by No Donuts here. Mike Cunahan, never partaken in it before. Jason has. That's going to be great. Tickets are going to be sold soon, and that's going to go all back to our nonprofit so we can keep doing the wonderful work that we're doing for you guys. Reps is not about reps. It's about you guys, but the only way that we make it about you guys is if we all come together. So appreciate everything you have got done for us. We're in the labyrinth, and I'm going to kick it over to the one and only, the co-host, the smooth suave today, the real Jumpman Jay. <laughs> Jay, the floor yeah, is yours, the buddy. Jumpman Jay. Uh, thank you, Frank. I appreciate that uh, intro. Um, been doing this seven months or seven seasons. I shouldn't say seven months. And uh, every episode gets better and better. So I'm very thankful to be a part of the process. I'm very thankful to be a part of Reps for Responders. And um, I'm very excited for today's episode because I just recently had a conversation with this man. We had a Pretty interesting conversation. So I'm looking to jump into the labyrinth and see what this man has to offer. Let's do it. We're gonna we're gonna start diving in right now, Jay. We're gonna go meet him up in the labyrinth. The man, another man, another myth, another legend, a character, uh, the man behind the curtain, uh, 10-8 memes, Charles, 
welcome to the labyrinth man thanks for joining us absolutely man thanks for thanks for having me and just as you're talking i just i'm buying my copy of the book right now <laughs> and then oh, thank, uh, you thank you thank you yeah, yeah yeah for sure and uh i gotta tell you that just hearing you talk about the pba buying tickets for your fundraiser and for your event is just it blows my mind because the, the unions down here in florida are just my experience is nothing like that it's not oh yeah it's a not, bit different down there yeah there's no camaraderie brought by the union or brought by agencies like that um you have maybe a um you know, like a department gathering, maybe around Christmas time, and that's it. And it's sad because, because yeah. no, first off, it's department sponsors. No one, you know, is everyone's leery of going anyway. Because um, you know, who's going to be a, a narc? Who's going to snitch on you? Who's going to say something after a few cocktails and blah 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 blah? Um, but like you said, Frank, like uh, the whole idea of resiliency is doing stuff outside of the job to avoid burning out. And when I was on, one of the biggest things I always tried to do was events like that, you know, whether it just be, hey, let's go get some sushi, let's go hang out for the night, let's go to Top Golf, stuff like that. That's stuff I always tried to do, but getting people to actively engage, that was always a, always a problem. But um, it's great to hear that you guys do it, and it's great that agencies in your area and the unions around your area um, promoted and supported that's amazing so hopefully that comes down to florida with the rest of you new york guys that are coming down anyway maybe you guys can bring the culture too just might just might <laughs> i don't know if you want that new york culture down there no i'm kidding i mean it's not speaking too bad of, speaking of, of pieces of it speaking of florida um bring us up to date where where you, so let's see how am i going to word this take us to 10 8 memes when you were in the academy now was that florida give us a little bit about where you grew up where you were in the academy and take us through that journey um and kind of why you wanted to join the academy again i don't know really much about you so i'm very interested um so what academy was it department wise x y and z and, and really why mm -hmm. so uh, i grew up i was born and raised in new jersey um my dad was a cop in west orange new jersey for 26 years retired a sergeant in 1996 um as soon as, or before he retired, he saw that West Orange was kind of going not a place he wants to raise a kid. Uh, my sister's 14 years older than me. So, you know, he already raised her in it, but saw that it was getting worse. So he didn't want to keep that going. So he moved me out to the boonies, uh, Blairstown, New Jersey, middle of nowhere. Um, and that's where I grew up. So I ended up going to college in Connecticut for a year. I went up there, the family moved down to Florida for financial reasons. And then long story short, I ended up going to Florida anyway for my own financial reasons. So uh, I started the academy in 2014. Um, I went to um, Daytona State um, Basic Law Enforcement Academy. And basically, I went because I was going to school for a bunch of different things before that. And everything for one reason or another I kept me meeting closed doors, either finance, mostly financial reasons. And I had a, um, I had a idea that the school I wanted to go to had their own police department. And they said, and I was thinking, oh, I could go work for them as a cop, go to school for free, and then I can go on from there. So after bugging enough people about, hey, what's the academy like? I finally signed up myself. Now, Florida academies are different than a lot of other places where 
Um, you can pay for yourself. You don't have to be employed to go. Uh, you can put yourself through. And so that's what I did. I had no idea what we call sponsorships. I didn't even know what that was when I first started. Um, so I paid my own way, got a Pell Grant to get me through the academy, just like you would do through any school. So our academy was a different process than a lot of academies that I've learned since my time interacting with officers from around the the country and the globe um, wasn't very paramilitary at all. It was way more college-based. Uh, basically, as long as you paid the fee of admission, you could get in. Um, you could have stuff on your background that would stop you from getting hired as a cop. They would make you sign a waiver saying, hey, I know I'm probably not going to be a cop, and they could still take the classes. It was pretty bizarre. Um, very so, weird. yeah, yeah, very weird. But, I mean, the academy is also so basic, so it's not like they're learning really trade secrets, but um, there were a few like auto decals that you could not be in the academy, obviously, if you had like a felony or stuff like that. But like I had a buddy in the academy who got arrested for domestic violence, not going to be a cop anywhere, but still was allowed to um, finish the academy. So I graduated in February of 2015. And during my time in the academy, I was recruited by an agency nearby. Uh, I'm going to leave it out just for... Um, anonymity purposes, but it's a, a place in the central eastern Florida area and um, got recruited out of there. So I started a week after my graduation. I started at the police department as a civilian. I was originally just working traffic control, uh, glorified paid crossing guard for certain events uh, where I used to work, had many special events come through. And so they used us for that. And through uh, bitching and complaining and kind of being that squeaky wheel, I finally was able to move up to our front desk where I was able to investigate calls, take non-criminal um, non reports and kind of build in there. So, and that used to be the process to getting hired at that agency. You start civilian, eventually you'd become a part-time officer where you'd work either um, prisoner transport or something like that. And then you go full-time. So I was like the last, one of the last officers to do that trans, um, that progression. So after about six months as a civilian, I got hired on as a part-time reserve officer, worked the prisoner transport van for about, I don't know, three or four months, got moved to full-time, did field training, but also they have their own built-in academy in the police department. So you do that for about 12 weeks and you move to three months worth of field training on the road. Um, as I was finishing my last month of field training, actually, I went to what they call the last two weeks, which is the shadow or ghost phase. And I just couldn't, I couldn't get it. I was, I was doing good up to that point. I had one FTO that kind of broke my confidence and uh, I never truly recovered from that. And then in the middle of that final two week ghost phase, my dad, who had up to that point had a lot of medical issues, had a massive um, medical issue, got transported to an Orlando area hospital. Uh, I had to leave mid, mid, uh, mid shift because I had to go to the hospital with him. Um, so I decided to go back to reserve status. I did that uh, for another six months before finally going full time and um, being on the road passed with flying colors the second time going through uh, field training and then you know started my career and I worked uh, six and a half years with that agency and I did everything from patrol I was a crime scene technician 
I worked narcotics in our problem-oriented policing unit. And then I made the decision to come to Southwest Florida, where my story then takes a different turn altogether. Uh, let me ask you a question. Uh, from what I'm listening to, there's like, a, you know, there's a process. Do you feel it's better that you went through that? Because it kind of makes it a little bit more... Uh, there's there's more invested in it when you go through those channels because I feel like I did six months in the academy and then I was out on the road uh, maybe three or four months FTO and then I, I, you know obviously I'm in a probationary period for a year or so but it just seemed like there's a lot more channels to go through I think that kind of weeds out some of the undesirables I mean wouldn't, yeah, wouldn't you agree it definitely does and it also builds on um, characteristics that either you don't have right or like, uh, or yeah. you're not you know so like for me up until the police academy i worked customer service i worked you know different service industry jobs and i didn't have experience in an authoritative position so by working prisoner transport that brought that out of me and mm. to the point of like my first round through fto i had ftos telling me like hey you're talking to people like you're working at the bank and you want to keep their business like this is not <laughs> what we're doing here you know and yeah. so my second round through prisoner transport really, you know, kind of shook that tree a little bit and definitely brought out the, what needed to be done. And you're right. It does weed out people that shouldn't be there. Um, unfortunately with staffing, I, I know that that agency now, even if people are, are like not the best candidates, you know, they still kind of push them through anyway. Um, because, I mean, that seems to be the trend all over the country either way, man. Nobody right, wants to do sure. this job anymore. So undesirable gotta, we're going to get in now but exactly you got a pulse get on talking it. about yeah the time frame that you're talking about i mean people still at that point people still wanted to be police officers it was a very desirable job and um it's funny that you mentioned it, that you had to do that prisoner transport because i think any junior police officer that listens to our podcast that works in this area would know that i mean i had to do prisoner transport for like the first two or three years of my career, at some point they were like, all right, junior guys got to go and transport these bodies up to wherever. So it's stuff that they're doing anyway, but like you're just not in that full-time police officer role. So I think just by you mentioning that, I think that's something that some police departments of this way should probably get into because then I think that would mitigate a lot of, like I said before, the undesirables because at some point you're going to figure out that maybe this person is not really good with talking to people or maybe he's you know this person is quick to you know act when they can probably verbally de-escalate the situation i just thought it was very interesting that you mentioned that you had to go through all these channels and you still at the end of it still wanted to be a part of the process mm -hmm. and i think just from having conversations with you because we've spoken before um you seem to be a very level-headed guy and i think a lot of it comes from a life experience but b doing exactly what you did with this department and having to work through these channels yeah, definitely. It, you know, it, you're right. It gives you something to work towards and it definitely gives that a sense of accomplishment. Uh, it, don't get me wrong. There were times when I was working prison transport that I was like, nope, I'm going to go to a different agency where I don't have to jump through these hoops and everything. But when yeah. I finally passed all that and finally got through to look at like how far I came and not only that, but the connection I had with the guys coming up that, mm -hmm. you know, 
you know, they're, they're struggling through prisoner transport. I'm like, Hey man, just get through it. You'll, you'll be fine. And it was different than the ones that didn't have to do that. And they just got sponsored at the Academy and got right into, to work in the road. Um, definitely a different perspective for sure. Oh yeah, man. Like that'll change you real quick. Knowing that you had to go through that stuff. Cause I always, I always noticed that in every department there's always like a golden boy or golden, no, like the golden boys where they kind of skip certain parts and they just get, uh, into units that people have been putting in for years or for whatever reason, I don't know why, but a lot of places, you know, I think it happens in every single department. Politics exists everywhere. And it's just some people that maybe at that particular point in time, you know, they didn't have the manpower. So they automatically get jumped into these, these units and they skip a, a few steps. Uh, but those are the guys who I always feel like are problematic later on down the line, man. So absolutely. Um, Thank you for that insight, dude, because I'm, I'm listening to you go through these channels. And I know for, for a fact, like a person like me, uh, you know, I was 22 when I became a cop. So as a young man, I don't think I could have, you know, done what you have done because it took me years to get to the, the maturity level that I'm at right now. Mm-hmm. It took, I'm saying right now, it took me like a decade to get out of that mindset where like, you got to like relax and chill out, you know? <laughs> no, absolutely. The shortage is real. The shortage is real is Jay. I'm going to make a comment and see what you guys think. And then 10, eight, I have a question for you. There's something that what you just said throughout the whole thing really stuck out to me um, was you know, I have seven and a half years on and we're so short uh, in my command, you know, Jay, you know where I work. Imagine doing day tours mm-hmm. there with only four cars. And I'm, I'm, I just sat on two prisoners in the same day, uh, two days ago. And uh, I've done about three transports already. Right. So, what I'm trying to get at this year is we're still cops. So the TOJ card, right? There's certain things where it gets, you know, you, you play that card, but if you play that card every single time and you lose, that's where you got to say, okay, you know, my ego, it's not going to work every single time. And you got to accept that. Like you're still a cop. And when you're short and you need a transport to get done, you, it is what it is. Right. But when you start yep. getting upset about it, you can't control it. Right. You're not the boss. They're going to tell you what to do. And Okay. How can I make this transport as best as possible for me and my partner right now? That's the mindset mm-hmm. you have to have. Um, yeah. And going into what you were saying, 10-8, was you made a comment about FTO and something you you said that you said you weren't able to recover from. Now, is that still, that affect you in your career? Was that a short time stand? Is there something that the FTO said to you or kept kind of ripping you on and wasn't really being a leader more than just kind of just being a, a pain in the ass and criticizing if you want, if you don't mind open up about that. Yeah. So I had this guy. So in, in my agency, you had three months, each individual month was with a different uh, FTO. And the last one was two weeks of the shadow phase, which is supposed to be with your initial FTO. Mine didn't work out that way. So Month one, great. Month two, good, but not great. Um, The guy that was teaching me was a genius, like literally too smart to be a cop, but glad he was. And then the third guy, um, I had known him from my time part-time, just walking the halls, very personable, very friendly, actually from New York. Uh, Dad retired NYPD, stuff like that, you know? And so we had a lot in common, you know, big Yankee fan, shit like that, you know? So I was super excited to get him first couple of days in his car. I'm like, man, this is like the last guy, but nicer. Like, this is, this is good. Like he's super smart, <laughs> super personal, whatever. 
um, I get to looking at my DORs and I'm failing everything. I'm like, what the hell is going on here? And, and I was like, bro, what's, what's going on here? And he's like, man, you are like minestrone on pumpernickel. I was like, what does that even mean? He's like, you are a soup sandwich. Oh, shit. Yeah. I was like, you know, and so we, we start, he just starts breaking down everything, right? And we had a disagreement on a call. It was a, it was a very weird call. Basically, this chick lived at this flop house. Someone, quote unquote, broke in. Um, and as we're sitting there, it's me, another rookie, and both of our field training officers. And we're trying to figure out what's going on. And some dude walks up the street and he's like trying to get in on it. Like, I, I think it was probably a pimp or something like that, but he was trying to get in on like, oh, baby girl, you're fine. Just sit down. I'll take care of you, whatever. I'm like, dude, back up. It's fine. Do whatever. So eventually I just stopped engaging with this dude. And later <laughs> we go, later we go to a different call, whatever. My FTO pulls me aside and goes, why'd you, why'd you stop engaging with this guy? I was like, I, I treat him like an annoying child. I was like, if I stop giving him attention, maybe he'll go away. And mm-hmm. my FTO was like, that's a sign of cowardice. You were afraid to take um, this, this issue and deal with it hand on. I was like, no, I was trying to figure out what's going on with crazy chick. I don't need this dude distracting me when I'm trying to investigate what's going on here. So mm-hmm. he just, he doubles down on the cowardness thing saying I'm a coward. I probably shouldn't be a cop, blah, 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 blah. Uh, we pull behind this convenience store where we're having this conversation and he makes me start watching line of duty death videos and just like, you know, man, if you don't tighten up, I'm going to be handing your family a flag, a folded flag. And I don't want to do that. You need to figure out, is this job right for you? Blah, 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 blah. Totally out of left field. I didn't even think we were at that point. Right. Like I, me saying I wanted this guy to go away was not me running from an, uh, an encounter. You know, it was not what I was doing, but whatever. Um, so he did, there were some things that this guy taught me that I still, you know, when I was working the road, still kept in my mind, right? But I was like, this is not the way to teach this lesson. So he eventually got moved up to the detective bureau while I was in his car and I got moved to someone else. So the whole time though, I felt like every FTO must have talked to this guy because they kept circling back to these same kind of comments. And I was like, the mm. stigma, you know, didn't escape me and it was pissing me off. And um, I went to, so the FTO that took over for this guy when he moved up to the DB um, was super cool, brought my confidence up. He's like, man, you're fine. I don't know what you're, what he had an issue with, whatever, but you're going to go to your next uh, training officer. You're going to be fine. Just keep doing what you're doing. You'll be fine. I went to the next guy and this guy squared away, former Marine or current Marine since Marines don't ever retire, whatever. Um, but anyway, um, you know, super square away. His only issues with me were like tiny, tiny things. No big deal. Put me to ghost phase. And then the, the lady I had for ghost phase was just a Royal bitch. I don't know what she got pissed about. She was a fill in for me one day and we got along great. She's like, man, you write great reports. Your investigation skills are great. You're going to do amazing things. Blah, blah. I get in her car as a shadow phase trainee. She's like, I don't know what the hell you're doing. You're blah, blah, like just totally flips the script. And I'm like, I got to the point where she like, she told me to take all my stuff out of her car. She's taking over primary. Mind you, I'm in final phase FTO. This is supposed to be my show. And she just like totally risked me a new one. We get on scene to a domestic and I start doing shit. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not sitting around here to, to be on a ride along. This is not what I'm doing here. And uh, she starts cursing at me in front of a complainant and stuff like that. And um, ultimately I got failed, but um you know it so anyway to go back to the the third guy 
you know, when, when someone says, hey, you shouldn't even be a cop, or is this even for you? I mean, that sticks with you for a long time. As I went through my career and got good and good and good, like, you know, I start when I finally got on the road, you know, I kind of took time to like, get myself acquainted with this cop work thing. And then by the time I really hit my groove, and like, I became that guy on my squad that everyone called to when they had a problem. I was, you know, good at case law, good at stops. I had several supervisors saying, you know, dude, you're the, you're the Swiss army knife of police work. I wish more cops were like you, you know how to do a little bit of everything. It's great. Uh, when I went to crime scene, you know, this same FTO, now he's, uh, he was a detective for a little while. Then he went back to the road. Then he got promoted to Sergeant. And he's like, oh man, you know, I wish there was a million cops like you. You're great. I'm like, where was this when I was in your car as a trainee? He's like, oh man, I was just trying to, I was just trying to bring out the best in you. And I was like, whatever, dude, this is lip service. Get out of my ear. But, um, you know, it's, it is what it is, but it's kind of, it, it always, when I think of like, you know, where I am now, even now where I am right now, but when I was, you know, at the, the high point of my career, like, you know, uh, there's so many people here that weren't here last year kind of thing. You know, I was just listening to that Drake song when I was walking today, but it's like, you know what I mean? Like, don't, don't say like, mm -hmm. Oh man, I, I, I knew you had it in you this whole time. No, you didn't. I have, I have receipts, man. You did not think I had it. in you. you told me to quit, like stop. So that's why, you know, I never understood the idea. A lot of people when they get into like a field training or a training position want nothing more than to make the guy in their car miserable. And I never understood that. And I, I wanted to be a field training officer for the sheer purpose of not being that guy of literally, if I see a guy that has a, you know, some kind of issue going on, I wanted to bring out the best in that person through a teaching method, not through, Hey, let me break this guy down. So he wants to quit. I remember calling uh, a buddy of mine who was a senior officer at the department who I had befriended. And I'm, I'm in our property and evidence room. Like, literally going, I don't know if I need, if I should do this anymore. Like, maybe I'm not like really questioning everything. And you should never have a trainee at that point because of something you said. I mean, if some of the total train wreck, fine, but you know, there's, there's different ways to go about it. And I, you know, so yeah, it stuck. I mean, obviously I'm still, I still know the story verbatim to this day. So it definitely stuck with me to this point. Um, you know, it, it's just unfortunate, but at the end, you know, my career was not thwarted because of him and every, you know, every, literally every accommodation, every award, every medal of valor I won, I was just like, oh, this goes to that training officer that told me to quit and without holding a personal vendetta against him, which I never do, but, you know, it just always kept that in my back of my mind, like, hey, I was, I was supposed to quit six years ago. And so that, that kind of kept me keep going. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you for sharing that because not that I had the same exact experience, but in one of my departments, this is the show is not about me, but you know, kind of kind of a similar experience, a negative thing with uh, an FTO. And um, I really believe that, you know, every department is different. So if you are getting handpicked, I hope the supervisor that's picking, right, is really doing a good job. If there's volunteers, um, you know, there should definitely be a evaluation period for the FTOs, right? Let the trainees able to kind of speak their, their experience. And I think it comes down to the that word control as cops, right? Where they're trying to control every scenario, right? Maybe going back of maybe the FTO realized he made a mistake and why did he keep that guy on scene? Uh, but, you know, 
you did what was best for you. You're focusing on what the job, what was the call? The call was a 21 in NYPD terms, uh, a burglary, right? In quotes in the past. That's it. Mm -hmm. You're taking her story. You're going from there. Take the report and you see what happens. That's all we really are. Crime in the past, we're report takers. That's it. You know, why keep someone there um, if they're not a threat and if they're going to instigate, like you said. So that's kind of just failed. You know, even if you're not a supervisor, you're a cop, there's still leadership roles in the locker room out there, right? Jay is is a cop, but leadership runs strongly in him. And, and you know, there are cops out there have to play the leadership role if they know how to play it, right? And I think it is such a shame because my NYPD experience, FTO experience was great. We'd had it for six months, right? So you take a little bit from that FTO, a little bit from that FTO, a little bit from that FTO, and then you kind of mm -hmm. put, put it in the protein shaker here that I have, my rep shaker, you shake it all up <laughs> and you put yours in and you learn as you go. But I think it's just like a child, right? The negative reinforcement, what's going to happen? And it is such right. a shame because someone who's so new to this world of policing, and then you're showing them videos, it's like a tra traumatic video. You know, the guy, that's like, that's like a sick behavior type of deal. You know what I mean? That's like showing kids stuff that they shouldn't see. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, definitely, right mind, you know, which, which go to that extreme. So then thinking about what we know now, mental health wise, like, really, what the fuck is this guy going through? <laughs> right? Yep. Yeah. And, you know, it's, uh, again, there was a, there was a lesson to be learned from that. Absolutely. And there was, but I look at my, the friends that I've made who have come up after me and they will go ahead and I, I see it. I see it every single time when I see someone in training, whether it be on the road or, or now in dispatch, which we've been talking about a little bit, but I call it like the, the downward spiral of training. Like when someone starts failing, and they start failing more and more and more and more before you know it, they're off the cliff and it, there's no saving them. And I've seen many people fall down that cliff and it's like, ah, where, when you start seeing that slip, but you saw that there was this potential, you need to do whatever you can to reverse that because it doesn't mm -hmm. mean they're a bad cop. It doesn't mean that they're not going to be a good cop. It means that something happened, right? Something, you know, fell off with their training and you just need to reverse it. And I feel like for me in that first experience, they doubled down on, Hey, let's fail this kid. And, you know, it was unfortunate. Um, and the only reason I stuck with it for as long as I did was because they the person that was in charge of FTO at the time. And my other, the good training officer I had kept pushing me along. It just, you know, I couldn't get out of my own head at that point. And I had the, the family issues as well that kind of uh, really slowed things down. It's um, I had some similar uh, in a field training type of setting as well. Um, not everybody polices the same way, right? I always say, and that we, uh, me and Charles spoke about this on, on the podcast that we, that we did uh, a couple weeks back. And um, I always say in, you kind of said the same thing, Frank, like you take little bits and pieces from some of these police officers and you kind of create your own house. And it's just sad that there's still those cops that are around that feel like their way of policing is the only way there's a thousand ways to do to do things and maybe like his approach to, to, to you know isn't the right way for you to figure out how to solve this particular problem and it's sad that people have that one way mindset because i can't tell you how many times i've been to the same type of call i've been a cop for 17 years i've been to the same type of, or same kind of calls at least um you know 30 different times same scenario just 30 different layouts you know and there was a different solution, right? 
to to the to the problem. You know what I'm saying? Right. Each and every single time, and it's essentially the same call. So it's just sad that you know, like, someone is training a young mind. They're molding a young police officer, and then they only have one way of doing things. Absolutely, um, it's it's almost like, you know, like making a pizza, right? Like Frank can yes. make a pizza, you can make a pizza, I can make a pizza. It's a totally different way, but it's going to come out the same way for the most part. But we do it maybe in different order and things like that. Yes, and it doesn't mean that one's wrong, one's right, whichever. And I've, you know, you, you said in the beginning about me being level-headed, which I've just always been. And I think as I've gotten older, I've just gotten more level and more calm and whatever, but that's always what I brought to policing too, is like, mm-hmm. I was never that guy getting on scene and screaming at people, yelling at people. And that's what he wanted me to be. That was his idea of officer presence. And that's just not how I ever saw, first off myself, but not how I saw myself as a police officer either. And, mm-hmm. you know, I kind of always adopted that teddy roosevelt you know speak softly carry a big stick kind of thing and and that's that's how i always did it right so he wanted me to get on scene tell that guy sit the fuck down you're gonna get cuffed blah 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 or just go up and grab him would that have been effective maybe would it have turned into an unnecessary use of force maybe like you know what i mean like there's so many different ways to to make that pizza at the end of the day so you're right. You know, obviously when I, when I finally got out on the road, I took the good, the bad, the ugly, and I made myself my own police officer. And, um, you know, that's kind of the most important thing. Like you got to do what you got to do to pass that car, whoever you're, you're riding with at that phase. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you know, you're going to be your own person. And that's the most important thing to realize is that, you know, just because Frank does things one way and Jason does things another way, doesn't mean they're both wrong or right a little bit of both can make can make it really good yeah, yeah. man it, it's just uh, it really resonates with me man when i hear stories like this because i had a call where i had a, a, a fto and i'm gonna look, leave everybody nameless but let's just needless to say it was a very it was a minor crime guy had a suspended license and i was very big on i always like to try to treat people with decency and respect the guy had two kids in the car and i was instructed to cuff up said person um in front of his kids. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to do that. What I'll do is I'll, you know, I'll walk them to the rear of the vehicle and at a, you know, eyesight of the kids and then I'll cuff them and then I'll explain the situation. And also the wife couldn't drive. So like, it was a, an extremely cold night. So I was like, you know, is there any way we could trans, you know, get him a vehicle where we can transport him to the precinct? You know, it was literally around the corner and the guy was like, absolutely not. We're not doing that. I want you to cuff him right here. There's no sense of humanity, man. And then I ended up getting and a decent amount of trouble over it because it was considered insubordination because I didn't do exactly what he wanted me to do it when he did it, you know, um, when, when he wanted me to do it. So I can, I can definitely relate to this story because I ended up having a rough way to go. And that ultimately led to me like leaving my department, bro, because like you were saying, you mentioned something, which I, which resonated with me, like these departments are like small, right? So like, and when I say departments, like me and Frankie work in precincts, right? And, you know, it's the same people, just different shifts and tours. And when they talk to somebody, they're going to mention, oh, hey, you know, that guy Charles is a real whatever, you know? And mm-hmm. that then gets spread out, um, you know, throughout the command or throughout the department. And then, you know, you may have developed a uh, a persona as a person who's like this unsavory, um, oh, yeah. you know, cowardly, whatever type of person this person describes you as. When in fact you actually go out there and work and you're doing your job. You know what I mean? Like, I remember I had a boss tell me one time, like, oh yeah, such and such said you're an asshole, but 
not not from what I can see, you're a pretty good oh, yeah. you know, cop, oh, yeah. whatever. So, and so when you said those things, it really jumped out to me that you know um, it could ruin a guy because of something that one, one because of one person's opinion. Because now when you I, plant that seed, it's going to grow. You oh yeah. When saying? I went back to field training the second round, my first FTO that time, I'm, I'm riding in his car and like we're getting along great. Like we've been buddies for years, but I just met the guy, and one day he turns to me, he goes, you know they were wrong about you. It's like, what do you mean? He's like, oh, they said that you were rude and insubordinate and blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. I was like, has anyone ever met me? Those are like two words that have never been used to describe me my entire life. So they hear that, you know, and it's just exactly like you said, you piss off one person or you get a foul taste, taste in someone's mouth. Before you know it, it starts spreading. And it took me a long time to, to shed that, that image of myself through that department. And I mean, we weren't, I mean, about 300 people in for the agency. So, I mean, we weren't big, but we weren't small. Um, yeah. To have that, it took me a while to kind of rebuild my name. And I was basically playing in the negative when I started because a brand new guy, and I've already got this this idea, people have this idea about me. I was like, man, what the, the hell's going on here? But, you know, as, as my career progressed, I got to the point of being well-liked, well-respected, well-trusted in what I was doing. So, uh, anyone dealing with something similar, you can definitely jump. Uh, you can definitely overcome that for sure. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that story with us, bro. Cause it definitely resonated with myself and Frankie. So I think a lot of young cops need to hear that, you know, they might be not, they might not be the only ones dealing with that type of stuff. Yeah. Big thank you. Uh, reminds me of the quote of what you aim at is what you're going to see. And, uh, it's obviously, you know, physically, right. What we look, what our target is, but also, our thoughts of what are, what are we aiming at? What our thoughts is what we're going to believe. And we can always aim at different types of thoughts and and what we really believe about us and other people and going to the pizza reference. That was great, but it's kind of like the reps model, multiple pathways to recovery, right? I don't care how you get there. I've worked with a lot of cops that haven't been to AA once. And I always mentioned, you know, it's good to go to meetings and you should give it a shot, but I've, you know, worked with cops that haven't been to one a meeting and now they're six months sober. Okay. That's great. I don't care. As long as you really don't want to, you know, you're not going to drink, you're not going to hurt anybody else. Um, you got there. We got you sober, mm-hmm. right? AA, some people in that world, if you're not doing it, you're just like shunned, right? And it's the same thing with working out, okay? We can say this with every aspects of life. If you believe that CrossFit or powerlifting or bodybuilding is the only way to go to get strong or just to lose weight in general, there's multiple ways to lose weight. It's what works best for the individual. And if you only done that type of workout and never gave anything a shot like something different to just dive in that world like who are you to say that this is the only way and we see that a lot in, in policing as well of, of the thoughts and it's oh every you know everybody's a perp everybody's a piece of shit everyone's a bad person you know it's like no you need to pause look at your feet and say you know what depending what neighborhood you you work in like this is unfortunately the the, the reality of the, the crime the people we run into they're not calling us there in the Bronx to go to a wedding or a birthday party, right? This is just part of our job. This is what we got to do. So now what are we going to do to slow down our thoughts, clear our mind? You know, how are we going to react to other cops? So what are we going to say? Are we going to always be negative to them or are we going to do the positive reinforcement? I always tell people now, you know, good job today. Give them a little fist bump, you know, because I, I firmly believe that those little things add up. So I really appreciate you sharing that part of uh, your, your, your story. Uh, Tenny, and uh, how old were you when you you got to that department? Um, I was twenty five. I was twenty five okay. when I started. 
yeah, still a young cat, right? They say that metal yeah. brain is not really fully developed at 26. So, oh, yeah, yeah, still very young. Um, so now we're there. You, you had a great career, six years, you said, or six and a half years, and then kind of take us to the turn. You know, so, your, your Millennium Falcon light speed, what happened? Yeah. So basically, at, at the end of my time with that agency, um, I had already made the decision to leave. Um, it was nothing professional about it or no, no professional reason for leaving. It wasn't like I had beef with the agency or anything like that. I was moving across state. That's where my girlfriend lived. We decided to move in together and all that stuff. So I already made the decision. It's about June of 2021. Um, still, I, I think I just did my oral board for the new agency. So I was still in the process. Didn't even have an official hire date. Didn't even put in my two weeks yet. So I was still, you know, still there, still knee deep in the trenches and, um, working one night with my buddy, Jason, he, um, he's also a Jersey guy and, uh, long story short, he just came back from his own vacation and we're working and he was, I mean, he and I were buddies. We were zone partners. He'd been on about four years, I think. And so me six and a half and, um, long story short that night, uh, Jason was investigating a, uh, suspicious vehicle behind an apartment complex that we got a lot of shootings and drug activity and stuff behind it. And uh, gets the guy out of the car, tries to talk to him about what's going on. The guy ends up pulling a gun out of his pocket and shooting Jason in the head. Um, couple, uh, so he like, he called out on the radio, but it was different than he usually does. So we end up finding his GPS. A uh, couple of my buddies were there first. Um, said that he'd been shot we all rushed to him i was probably like one of the first five people there um rushing to the hospital um statewide manhunt goes on um jason you know fighting for life in a hospital they end up finding the guy that shot him in a tree house in atlanta georgia um jason fought for i think 53 days before passing away from his injuries mm. um during during all that uh in so jason got shot uh two weeks i take two weeks off work to kind of get my mind right and everything i get back to work it's uh fourth of july weekend work it it's crazy crazy busy um i get home from the fourth of july working the fourth of july so it's a sunday going into monday uh get a call from my nephew that my sister had a really bad asthma attack she was unconscious they were running her to the er so i run up to where they lived about a half hour north of me um she was in a coma she was in a coma for about i don't know a week maybe she ended up passing away from her asthma attack so now i take three more weeks off work to try to get my family in order go back to work for police at this point um I did, you know, whatever the final stages were for my hiring process. I get the job down here. And uh, so I put in my two weeks resignation. Um, actually, I gave him a month's notice. And then um, I leave. I come down here. So I'm here to work the road down here in Florida, the southwest Florida, south of St. Pete in Tampa. And um, I'm doing their version of the academy. Kind of whatever. I'm going through the motions. No big deal. And, um, my, at this point, my mind is like, Hey, you know, we're going to, we're going to push forward for Jason. 
you know, this is this is what he was all about was being a cop, getting bad guys. Uh, after one of my days of training, I'm on a day off, get a phone call from one of my old sergeants saying that um, my buddy Pat, who was first on scene to Jason's shooting, uh, took his own life. Mm. So it took me a while to process that. I was in shock immediately. That weekend, I just kind of floated by. I don't even know. I couldn't tell you what happened that weekend. But I go back to training Monday morning, do training, break for lunch. Buddy of mine calls and says, hey, these are uh, past funeral arrangements. Can you come up and, and whatever? I was like, let me let me check with the boss. So I go to my training officer and say, hey, uh, could I get Wednesday off? I got to go to my buddy's funeral. And that just kind of stops the car, right? Like everyone's like, hold on a second. We need to talk. So that turned into a very long conversation, um, you know, about me, you know, how am I handling everything given everything that I just went through over the last four months, you know, Jason getting shot, my sister passing away, Jason passing away, now Pat passing away. And in between that also uh, another guy at my old agency died of COVID. So all this loss and, you know, the question was asked, do you still want to do this? Do you still want to be a cop? And I was like, I, I don't know. My training officer that said that, or that asked me, he goes, well, if you say you don't know, that's a no. And I said like, no, that, that means I don't know. It means I got all this stuff on my plate. Being a cop is the least of my concerns right now. So I don't know if I still want to or not. Not to say that I don't want to. So he's like, okay, uh, go home, figure out, you know, what's going on see if you can give me some kind of answer. Cause unfortunately, and I was insulted at the time, but I get it now. Like I was the new guy. I had no time built up. I had, you know, they needed to know, like, is the new guy going to stay or does he have to leave what's going on? So he was, he said he was going to try to get me some FMLA time or something to kind of bridge the gap, but he couldn't, the, the administration wouldn't allow it. Or I don't, I don't know how that process works. I don't want to blame the administration, but um so I go in the next morning, Tuesday morning, after talking to a couple, uh, talking to my girlfriend, talking to a couple mental health uh, people that I talked to. At this time, I didn't even have a counselor down here. So I was really kind of flying solo. And uh, I was like, listen, if I have to make a decision today, if I want to continue with training or not, then count me out. I can't, I, my mind's not here. So get a meeting with the chief. The chief, you know, very easily could have been like, all right, well, listen, we hired you to be a cop. You don't want to do that we're going to give the seed to someone else. He could have very easily done that. And he'd have every right to, because he's got to run the organization. Right. But he said, listen, we already spent the money to vet you. We know you're a good guy. We want you to be here. So I'm going to go ahead and assign you to dispatch under the understanding that you can't just up and leave. Like if you want to leave, you can leave, but I can't put you through dispatch training. If you're just going to up and leave. And I said, all right, no, I'm, you put me there. I'll be here. So, um, I was given the opportunity to go to dispatch and I've been in dispatch now for a little over a year and a half. Um, I get asked all the time by people in the agency, by friends and everything like, Hey, you want to go back to the road? And my mind has shifted so far now. Um, mm. the, the answer to that question is no, I, I, I did my time. I played the game. I got the t-shirt. I'm good. Um, mm. I love the job and that's why I still work for an agency and I still, you know, do what I do, but my mind has shifted like from serving the people on the street to, I would, I get more value out of serving the people that serve the people on the street. So, um, my, my 
thought process, my goal in life now is to never have a situation like Pat again, never have a buddy Mm -hmm. that is in this tunnel of darkness and thinks that there's no way out. So this past uh, fall, I I started going back to school. Uh, I'm going for clinical psychology. I am part of my department's uh, crisis, uh, critical incident stress management team, peer support. Um, I'm, as we speak, writing a newsletter for that unit to push out to um, members of the department. So that way, you know, should they need mental health servicing, financial servicing, um, just all these different aspects, the things that we stress about, right? Because it's not always job stress. Sometimes it's personal stress and things like that. Uh, I want to have resources and ideas capable for that. And ultimately, if I can get my degree in psychology and be someone that clinically someone can come and talk to, um, that's the end goal. So it's not that I hate law enforcement. I love law enforcement. I'm still a cop, you know, um, or not a cop. I'm still in law enforcement. Um, It's just that my calling to serve people and to help people and to, you know, provide for people the the focus has just shifted from greater society to people in law enforcement um well thank you for sharing that dude um it's a lot of loss in a short period of time and um some people don't bounce back from it so it shows your resiliency for being able to bounce back from it and remain in the same space man um because i know what it is to to hear like there's certain calls that um, if I hear a certain tone on the radio, or if I hear um, a guy speak a certain way on the radio, that still gives me goosebumps from some things that I've experienced throughout my 17-year career. So I know what it is to to be in the space and to uh, to to feel triggered in, in in some instances. So for you to just be sitting in that room, dispatcher man, I know it takes a lot of bravery and courage to do that, man. So I just want to thank you for that, and um, you know just kind of put out my condolences, dude, because I think in this line of work, uh, there's a lot of loss, there's a lot of um, trauma that we see. And, you know, it doesn't ever really get addressed, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, the fact that you're on that that crisis team, man, and it, sh- it shows a lot of the character that, you know, the, the person that you are, um, to be able to give back and make sure that no one else ever has to experience what you've experienced. And if you can prevent that, um, you know, you're going to, that's why you're going to school and, and, you know, you in that clinical setting, man, it shows a lot about who you are as a person, man. So just, I want to, you know, take my, tip my hat off to you, dude, because I know it's not easy to show it, man. Yeah. It, um, you know, even since I've been to this new agency, we've had one officer kill himself and it's, I didn't know the guy, you know, I'm, I'm brand new. I don't really know many people, but, um, it just goes to show that it's, all over the place. Obviously, I know NYPD has had their their own share of, of tragedy recently. And, mm-hmm. you know, I still actively talk to Jason's family, to Pat's family. Um, you know, they kind of, those two men have done more to me to kind of steer my ship, I guess you could mm-hmm. say, um, just by you know, they, they were both great guys and I could, I could sit here and talk for hours about my experiences with them and just on the job, off the job, just, just good times. And, you know, it, it's tragic that obviously the, the situations kind of took them from their families, 
and just knowing that that everlasting impact um, has made me just want to continue to mitigate any pain that I can provide. Um, I, I was talking to Pat's mom this morning, actually, and she said that, you know, she's going through her own legal ordeal with, with Pat's situation. And she's like, you know, nothing is going to bring her son back. But if she can do anything to help another mother keep her son or, or daughter or whatever, then she's going to do that. And I said, that's the exact reason why, you know, I'm doing what I'm doing. That's why I've kind of shifted the focus of my, my page. You know, the humor's great. And I love bringing, making people smile. That's why I've done it in the first place. But, you know, to really push mental health and resiliency, I know people don't log on to Instagram and they want to see a sad story or they want to like, you know, talk about mental health. I get that. But it's so important to have those reminders sprinkled in there as well um, and, and kind of build that network of, of people that, that that's okay to talk to. And, you know, Frank, the reason I love reps is so much is each of the guys that Pat and, and um, uh, the detective here that, that took his own life they had substance issues and it's, I've seen that cycle, right. I've seen where it, it, it's a path, right. And I, it, when it goes unmitigated or just kind of let, let alone like, Oh no, no, that's fine. He's drinking. That's totally acceptable. Um, this is what happens, especially when you have un, um, un, sorry, I'm losing my words here, but unmitigated trauma, right. Then obviously it's all going to happen. I, I took, I took a, um, a crisis intervention class and through, through a law enforcement agency down here. And one of the things that the instructor said, who, I mean, this shows the generational gap between, you know, a 20 year cop versus a newer cop. But one of the suggestions she had for blowing off steam after work was, Hey, get your buddies together, have some drinks. I was like, no, that is not what we're promoting. That is not, no. not good. Um, the last thing you need to be doing. Right. Especially in a classroom setting, like, you know, cause she's like, Oh, well, if you have one or two, I'm like, yeah, but the problem is people don't stop at one or two. Never so does. Can't, no. So we can't go ahead and say, Hey, it's perfectly fine. And like, I cringed so bad. And I went and like immediately texted my, my counselor. I was like, I can't believe this bitch just said this. <laughs> I was just, you know what I, it is, man. It's uh, times have changed. And yeah. if you look at the job, like I'm one of those guys, I call myself a tweener. Cause I've been on 17 years. So I'm in that like really weird sweet spot. And I see the turnaround, you know, I see there was no mental health outreach for cops when I got on. Um, no one ever checked up on me when I went to a, a tragic uh, crime scene or, or, uh, you know, um, a, a motor vehicle accident where there were limbs all over the place. Or if I saw a, a dead infant or something like that, no one ever asked if I was okay. You right. may have had a guy pat you on the back and be like, I oh, don't worry about a kid. Like, You'll see worse things, but now the job is <laughs> that doesn't changed. help. It, it, exactly, it doesn't. It doesn't help, man. And and you know what, too, if you really think about it, you know, uh, the the I, I come from a place where, like, you know, I grew up with kids who got shot. And there was a lot of street violence. So to normalize um, chaos, to normalize uh, violent scenes, was like second nature to me. You know what I'm saying? But if you realize, like, I was 22, I was a child seeing these things, and then having to like put this facade, this tough guy, you know, demeanor, like, oh, I, you know, I got this, you know, and then it, you, you realize as the years go on, this thing, it, it, you, you, you leave a little piece of you 
at every call when you see oh, yeah. these types of things. Because if you're you're human, we we have empathy, right? So we empathize with 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 these people. And um, you know, seeing death is not normal, especially if like you know that saying here today, gone tomorrow. You could be sitting in the car with someone having a conversation, and you could be talking about future plans, and you get a call and you hear that there's someone either took their own life or they went to a call and they lost their life, man. It just mm -hmm. as I get older. I appreciate the moments that I've had with some great men, you know, that are no longer on this earth because of them fighting their own demons. You know what I'm saying? Like I've lost a few friends to substance abuse. I've lost a few friends to, to suicide. And, um, I, I had said this before to, um, on, on a podcast that, um, me and Frank had, and, um, you know, like, you know, thoughts have run through my mind at a very dark point in my life where, you know, I, I, I question my existence on this earth, man. Mm -hmm. So it's mm -hmm. like, this shit ain't easy, dude. Like getting up and, and, and trying to be this quote unquote tough guy and, and having to like push through. Um, it's not easy, man. And I don't think people really understand the, the stressors that, that we go through on a daily basis, man. Cause not only are you getting that, the job stress, you got family things that you got to deal with as well. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that outside of the job, you know, and it's not easy, dude. It's, it's right. really not, and man. And, you know, when I made that decision to leave law enforcement, um, well, to leave the road, you know, what was going through my head the whole time was what? that field training officer that we talked about earlier saying that I was a coward mm. and I was going, I was going shit, man. You know, and that was the biggest thing is like, if I, if I back down from this, I'm a coward. And there was plenty of times that since making that decision that I dwelled on that, that, man, I'm a coward. I, I let Jason and Pat down. They died for nothing because I, I quit. Um, up until very, very recent, and very, very recently. And I was listening to, oh boy, I don't even know whose podcast it was. I think it was, actually, no, I do. It was uh, Jocko and uh, Andrew Huberman. And they were okay. talking about, um, you know, Jocko obviously losing people as a Navy SEAL. And mm -hmm. he was like, you know, the the point in honoring them is not continuing what you've done it's learning from the past and adjusting and so it kind of dawned on me the light bulb went off like hey i'm not failing either of those guys because i said fuck you to the road if anything i'm honoring them because i said fuck you to the road and now i feel like i'm living to a different potential or a new potential um so you know yeah just it's, it's just interesting, you know, and, and you're right, you know, you, you kind of, you play this tough guy role, uh, this alpha role, and I start, you know, you start questioning like, oh man, was I ever that? Or was I just, you know, acting, acting in a, in a, you know, in a role, but come to think about it, you know, just, just getting out there in the first place is, is one thing, but, um, you know, it's, it's very difficult. And I think too many people in this job get caught in that where it's like, you know, I can't say I need help. I can't, um, I can't back down from, from a threat, whether that threat be myself or whatever. And I got to keep going because, you know, we in law enforcement, we win, we figure out a way to make it win. We F F I F, was it F I don't know. We figure it the fuck out. That's what I was going to say. Like, you know, no matter what we figure it out. So to feel yeah. helpless and to feel like, Hey man, I got, I got nothing left. Um, it's a very, very daunting experience. And you do have thoughts where you're like, shit man who who am i who was i and that's another reason why like one of the things that i push a lot is like hey you are not this job you are not you know 
Jason, we talked about it on, on my episode yeah. with you. Absolutely. Um, you know, you are not this job. And that's the biggest thing because when the job gets taken away from you, you're like, shit, then if that's now? gone and that's all mm -hmm. I had, who am I? You know, and that's obviously not the case, but it, it took me the better part of a year and a half to figure out that, you know, there's way more to me before and after the job. So. Yeah. I mean, a true warrior knows when it's time to redirect their purpose. I always say that uh, someone told me that, you know, when you, when you got to redirect the focus, uh, you know, just because you aren't on the road, doesn't, doesn't take, you know, anything away from you. You just know that, you know, you couldn't operate in that space anymore because it wasn't a, a, a healthy, nutritious environment for you, for your spirit, mm -hmm. for your mental health. And, you know, being able to have the wherewithal to be like, all right, man, maybe I need to remove myself and, you know, redirect my mission. That shows to me, and I'm going back to what I said before, the, 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 the maturity level that you have and the, um, the, the social, no, the, the emotional um, intelligence that you have that emotional awareness that you have to be like, you know, this ain't for me no more, man. You know, like I, I always revert back to the time that, I, you know, the time that I've been on the street, right? I've been doing this 17 years. And if you'd have told me, like, I woke up the other day and I'm like, dude, I don't know if I could be this SWAT guy for another, you know, three years. You know what I mean? Like, I want a slower pace. I want maybe to sit behind a desk. Like, you, 10 years ago, I wasn't thinking like that, but I woke mm -hmm. up. And I just had this feeling in my heart, like, man, I don't think I could be the best version of myself if I stay in this particular space. Because I know that, like, you know, my physical attributes as I get older are diminishing, man. Like, by mm -hmm. the time waits for no one. And for me to go out there and and on top of that, man, we go to a lot of high-stress jobs, dude, in the, in the space that I work in. If you're a truck guy, you're dealing with, you know, people in crisis. You're dealing with barricaded um, PICs. You're dealing with a lot and, and, you know, I remember going to a, I went to a wrong way um, driver accident, um, like in the midst of COVID, this is probably like 2022. And it took a toll on my spirit, bro. Like a guy, a father picking up a son from a basketball game with his friend passes away because of some, you know, some guy was driving drunk and, mm -hmm. you know, gets into an accident with these people and I mean, kills the dad. And the crazy part about that whole thing is like, we get there and it's almost like you have this guilt. Like I, we saved the guy who created the accident, yeah, but our first yeah. thing as a police officer, right. Is preservation of life. So if there's a viable life, I got to go and save that person knowing that this person is the reason why two people are no longer on this earth. That really like sits in your heart. And it's hard to, to like push through stuff like that, knowing that you saved somebody who took someone's life. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. Like it. And and I feel like, like that's what how we it, signed up for. You know? Yeah. And I feel like you know in that in that circumstance, I feel like that's always how it pans out. Or you know the the shooting victim passes away, but the guy that shot him is just fine or or whatever. And it's uh yeah it's it's, it's unfortunate. And I I don't I don't want to say unfortunate like oh man people need to die. That's not what I meant. But um, well, we get it. We know what yeah. you're saying. No, it's just, you know, you, and, you know, you have to, you know, it's, it's something that that sense of morality is something you face all the time. And all these high stress gigs or jobs, as you guys up there call it, um, you know, they, they do, they wear on you. And it, it got to the point where, you know, even now I, you know, I'll take a call in dispatch and I'm like, 
why why are we wasting human resources on this you know why are we sending officers to this and you know yeah. god forbid something bad happens over something nonsense like going back to the story with fto right like do we really want an un unnecessary use of force over bogus not oh, bogus stuff no but that happens all too often and you know dispatch is definitely stressful to an extent um but it's to the point of like I can mitigate it so much easier now. Like it's so easy for me to separate working and yeah. not working. And that's, that's been the biggest improvement in my um, mental well-being is knowing that like, Hey, you don't have to take work home with you. And that's, they've tried. They're like, Hey man, do you, you check your email when you're off duty? Right. I'm like, hell no. I was nope. like, you want to pay me for that? Because other than that, yeah. I'm not, I'm not touching it. I tell you, I feel better. Like when my department, we have police officers that dispatch. So it's a little bit easier when you have someone who knows the road right. or knows the job, I should say, because they they know how to like get the call out. You can even tell by the tone of their voice, the way they give out the job, the way they break down. Like sometimes, you know, you'll go to a domestic and you'll, you'll ask, hey, uh, is there any history here? Yeah, you know, the, the, you can tell the difference between a guy who was just a dispatcher versus the guy who was a cop dispatching. There's a big, mm -hmm. big, big difference. And, um, you know, it, I breathe a lot easier when I know there's a cop on the radio that's dispatching calls because I know he's not going to send me into the lion's den without any armor, if you know what I'm saying. So, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I've, um, you know, I've sent calls out or I've taken calls in. I'm like, this doesn't sound right. Send to like, because we, yes. we, we ride single down here. But, you know, some guy saying, uh, yeah, I need the police over here and they're on a dead end road. I'm like, this sounds ambushy. Mm -hmm. Send to. Sounds, I mean, obviously. To me. Yep. Yeah, but I mean, it's nothing, thank God, but, you know, that's definitely where that sixth sense, that little, the hair sticking up on the back of your head type of thing. A little spidey um, sense. Yeah, 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 absolutely, where it's just, so it definitely has come in handy, um, and, you know, as I get more familiar with the people at my agency, um, it's just helping more and more, for sure. There's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> Thank you for uh, sharing your strengths, experience, and hope. I mean, uh, yeah, just thank you. Um, Thanks, man. Glad you're still here. Glad you're doing the work you're doing. Um, and I, I made videos about this and reps, and we speak about it all the time. Is that it's keep speaking. If you want to do something, right? Like the posts are great, but like keep speaking about it. Keep action. Action is louder than words. And it's not just speaking about it on Instagram. It's literally at the roll call, address the roll call, the locker room, sending out messages, right? And, you know, I'm sorry to hear for, for your other buddy, you know, both of them that lost their lives to suicide and they were under the influence and not all, but I've seen it when I worked in the unit that I worked in before I'm at now. And a lot of research shows and a lot of officers that lost their lives to suicide are under the influence of some site, some type of substance. And like, we have to remember like, it is a depressant, okay? What, and I can speak on my personal experience and other people that I've worked with is that when we tend to use alcohol as a coping mechanism, obviously our central nervous system getting depressed, right? Our little physical organs are taking damage, our cells, okay? Our emotional state, our thoughts, our feelings. And when we're boozing or whatever, and we're, if we're clinically depressed or if we're depressed, right? Is that, we're going to believe whatever we're thinking in that moment. And that's something that could turn around. That could be switched with 
positive coping skills, resiliency, being in a peer support group, going to a meeting, cognitive behavioral therapy. So it is more, it is not just possible. It is way possible. It is real. So anyone that's listening, just be mindful of that, please. Uh, our guest speaker for Responder Talk this Sunday is a Harvard psychiatrist. And uh, in his book, he literally talks about that most major depressive cases actually go away on their own. And I was like, wow, right? So if you just stay the course and you're positive, but what maybe they don't go away on their own because we keep beating ourselves up. We're too good to see a therapist. We keep coping with alcohol, right? So that's kind of making that depression stronger, right? It, it's becoming a beast that we're unable to tame. And that's just inside the labyrinth, the, you know, the minotaur inside of the labyrinth. So thank you for sharing all of that. Um, mm -hmm. It is tricky. You know, this is not an alcohol podcast, right? But it affects the hippocampus. It literally shuts off our memory. It shuts off the way that we think. It, it goes beyond all someone we just drink. It takes about three days for our body to recover. And when we're not drinking, and if we're drinking chronically, Okay, chronically doesn't mean that you're drinking every day. Chronically could mean you have a routine that you drink five, six, seven, eight drinks on your RDOs or every Thursday, every Friday. Your body starts getting used to that. Cortisol starts being released when you're not drinking. I mean, it's a sick, vicious cycle. I've lived it. I've studied this thing and it is a disaster. And it's like a, uh, it's a myth that we're told in the police department. Like it's 2023. It's time to wake up. You don't have to be a statistic. Alcohol does apps and I'll stick for it by it till the day that I die has no positives. Okay. Just one drink can mess up your sleep. You can be in a trance. You may not even know. So just again, I can never tell anyone not to drink, right? That's ultimately your decision, but just be weary of these things because you never see on alcohol packages causes cancer. Okay. But 30 over 30,000 deaths last year from cancer were alcohol induced. Stress causes cancer on the cells. All these different things, right? So our jobs are highly, highly stressed. If you're doing dispatch, if you were a cop for 10 years, okay? If you were a cop for six years and you leave, there's still a lot of shit that, you know, with damage that was done to your body. So now what are we going to do to try to mitigate that, right? How are we going to be resilient? And there's ways out there. My father told me this quote that will stick with me to the day that I die. And I literally use it on the street. If you tell me the truth, I can help you. If you don't tell me the truth, I can't help you. And that really, really stuck with me, no matter what the situation is. So thank you, man. Yeah, man, absolutely. You know, it's, um, I've, uh, over the past few weeks now, really doubled down on getting myself out of my own pit. Because um, I, you know, I, I know, and I've been working with, with the therapist to get myself out of the hole. Um, I know that dealing with all the loss I did, I, I resorted to negative coping mechanisms between alcohol and eating and just not taking care of myself the way I should have. And, you know, when you get in that way, you know, it's not good for you. You know, it's not what's supposed to be not saying that, you know, drinking was a problem, not saying that eating necessarily was a problem, but I know that I wasn't doing what was right for me. Um, but it kind of, you know, it gets harder and harder the longer it goes on to break yourself out of that cycle. And, you know, I got to the point where I'm looking at myself in the mirror and I'm like, this is not who I want to be. That's not who I was a year and a half ago, you know? And um, it, it's definitely, it takes a lot of self-realization and, you know, kind of 
coming to Jesus and being like, all right, what are we going to do to get out of this? Because the excuses are way easier to come by than like anything else. You know, you can, it is so easy to be like, oh, well, you know, I deserve this drink or I deserve this burger or this burger is all I got, or this drink is all I got. The only options I have. And, you know, when you're real, when you're real with yourself, obviously that's not the case at all. Um, and it kind of, the analogy I came up with the other day is kind of like money, right? If you want it to get something that really, you really want it, right? You can go get your credit card out and buy it instantly and you're going to get it and you're going to feel good about it. But on the other side, if you take that same money and you put it towards paying off your credit card, building your credit, and you can buy more things later down the way because things are better for you, um, you know, if you, if you stop chasing instant gratification and that quick dopamine hit to get yourself, you know, to feel better, um, you end up feeling better in the long run. And, you know, that's what, you know, I've been going to the gym more, eating better, not drinking. And that's instantly put my entire overall mood on a higher plane than just that quick hit of whatever I was using to kind of pacify myself to get me through the moment. And there's, you know, there's still moments where I'm just like, oh, you know, maybe, maybe I shouldn't have got that, that sandwich over at Jimmy John's, or maybe I shouldn't have done this, hmm. but you know, it's, it's a work in progress. We're never, we're never perfect. Um, but it's just things that you, you want to help yourself out of that whole, whole lot more than keep digging yourself down there. Yeah. Being aware of being aware and speaking of Jocko, you know, we actually did a whole responder talk on this tactical thinking versus strategic thinking and literally writing down a list, you know, is this a, a tactical goal versus strategic goals? Is this tactical? Is Am I doing this now for what you just said, that instant gratification? Um, or my strategic thinking is, or my strategic goals, is this going to help me with my main goal over time? So like, if you want to lose weight, is, you know, having this donut going to help me? Or maybe I cut this donut in half if I really don't have the impulse of just not eating it at all, right? X, Y, and Z. So that's that's a great thing to bring up and, and, and thank you. And it actually leads to, last final question here is um what do you do now today in the present moment you know february 1st 2023 none of us have ever lived this day before so let's remember that what do you do this year what did you do this year and today like what do you do for self-care basically what is 10 self-care you know coping skills resiliency now of kind of how you how you deal with everything that you just went through that you explained to us yeah um, you know, I've, I've kind of been testing the waters with a whole bunch of different things. I think the gym, honestly, uh, has really changed a lot for me. You know, you get a myriad of emotions and mental and brain chemicals, neurotransmitters. See, I'm learning in school, guys. Um, you get all these things released to you when you're in the gym and you get, you know, your heart rate up and then you get some, you know, some tactical breathing to go along with it which is important, obviously breathing, and then you sleep soundly when you're done with it, you know, so, so many things from being active, just kind of trigger it. And you know, what happens a lot is I'll be working out and I, I picked up CrossFit because I wanted something that was different that I never touched before. And so I did CrossFit. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know what, you're, you're going through the wad and you look at the time on the clock and it's like, shit, man, I still got 10 minutes left of this bitch. But as you're going through it, right. To like distract myself from the, 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 the stuff I'm dealing with, I started thinking, and I probably have worked out more issues in my brain through thinking during a CrossFit workout than just sitting around doing nothing. Now, don't get me wrong. 
I want to get back into meditation as well. And I think Jason and I talked about meditation when he was on my show, but um, kind of, you know, like when you, when you have, here we go, we're going to show our age here guys, but you know, like when you had that like Nintendo controller that was all twisted and knotted up and everything, like if you just go pulling at it and whatever, right, it gets tighter and you never get anything done, but if you stop and like slowly undo the cord and whatever, it all kind of gets unknotted. And I really feel like when I'm doing that in CrossFit, that's my chance to really like untie some knots and really start to see things out. So, you know, I, like right before we got on, I did a three mile walk around the neighborhood. Uh, so any kind of activity I can do allows me that time, that active meditation, um, you know, of just kind of going through my thoughts. And it, I mean, sometimes I don't even know I'm doing it, right? Like when I was walking just now, I came across a turtle. I'm like, oh, that's really cool. And I like looked at the turtle and then I'm listening to music as I'm walking and just that activity, right? Cause it got my heart up. It got my, my breath going. Body's kind of tired now, which sucks is I have to work all night. But you know what? At the end of the day, after a good workout, I really feel centered. I feel that sense of calm. Maybe that's just the exhaustion. Maybe, I don't know. But there is that sense of calm. And I feel like whenever between that and also to the workout, but also just like looking at things in perspective, right? Like this is a bad moment, but it doesn't mean the day's bad. doesn't mean the week's that bad, whatever. And, and obviously things can be bad. I've seen as bad as they can get, but um, it's only in that moment. And, you know, I, I'm very big into stoic philosophy and the, the kind of one of the biggest key tenets of that is focusing on what you can control versus what you can't. And you can't change what happens to you, but you can change how that has affected you. And that those two things, working out to keep myself active and moving my mind and realizing that, hey, this happened. Whatever I'm going to do with that information from here on out is up to me and just trying to make that best decision from there. So, you know, try not to think or not try not to be reactive on emotion alone, but really taking time and, and thinking about everything. I love that you brought that up. I love that that active meditation. Um, I, 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 I like I often say you can find out a lot about a person while they're working out. You get, you know, for me, I've, uh, I've come to a lot of uh, conclusion and resolution in the middle of a workout. And I've been. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, um, I, and I had the pleasure, I had a, you know, my, my old partner, he and I used to work out together and, um, we built such a bond working out every day together. Um, so much so that I'm, you know, the godfather to his child, you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. you learn a lot about a person in the middle of, um, you know, suffering quote unquote. And, um, I always tell people, if you're not really good with sitting in one space and, you know, focusing on your breathing, try moving around and focusing on your breathing and getting that mind muscle connection, you know, meditation comes in many forms. It doesn't all, it doesn't have to have you sitting down with your legs crossed. You know, that active meditation is something that I think a lot of people overlook. And I think you even bringing that up, just it will keep that fresh in somebody's mind, man. Cause I, I know it's helped me out a lot. Yeah. You and I spoke about it before, um, you know, so it's helped you out. It's helped me out. It's helped Frank out. I think a lot, you know, if we get it out to the masses, I think a lot more people will start to look into this quote unquote active meditation. And so, right. And, you know, both, I think both levels of meditation have their place. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I used, I used to use headspace all the time and I would sit down and breathe and things like that. And there's times like if if I can't sleep or whatever, you know, I'll sit and I'll breathe. Um, Or if I'm just stressed in general, I'll sit and breathe. Just even not, you know, you don't have to do a lot, literally just sitting there for one minute and just breathing will bring the heart down like literally your bio your biology will come down by you just focusing on your breathing 
Um, but for me, you know, it's hard for me to just focus on breathing. I got this ADHD thing going on. So my brain's always going all over the place. So if I'm mm-hmm. going to be thinking all crazy anyway, I might as well be moving while I'm doing it. So if my brain's busy, I can be busy. And before you know it, an hour later, we, we figured out some things to the point where like, man, I've had, I've had podcast ideas when I'm working out. I've had all these things. And I'm like, man, I need to carry around like a notebook and just scribble real quick in between the workout, but haven't done that, but I try to remember it. Got my notebook, man. Yeah. 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 Disconnect. Just disconnect the fucking controller. I like that. That's uh disconnect from what's going on. Focus right in the present moment. Disconnect from those thoughts and uh, working out is a great form of, uh, of meditation. Um, thank, thank you for sharing that. I mean, I'm going to start thinking more about that disconnect. Uh, I'll come up with something nice and send you guys when my brain is uh, ready mm-hmm. to roll. But uh yeah, it's like if you look at disconnecting the controller. Okay, so here we go. I'm ready. You disconnect the controller from the actual N64. It's kind of like disconnecting you if you're the controller as a cop from the job. Okay, so that mm-hmm. might that might mean that what do I have to do? If I disconnect the controller, the job, there's no connection. Okay, so maybe on my off day, I don't even reach out to anybody on the job, right? I don't hang out with anyone on the job. A big thing is... Uh, a lot of cops actually don't have it's and it's a shame they don't have friends outside of being a cop they don't mm-hmm. have friends outside of policing that's a big no-no in my opinion because you know you just talk you know even again i'm not saying don't do anything you know sometimes like those are your close friends right but a lot of the times it you know subconsciously might resonate with being on a call doing something right so it's kind of like if you can even afford a uh, not afford to go out after work because if you do four to 12s, we hear, we call four to fours. You just went out for four hours. Okay. Uh, me and huge fat loser talk about it all the time is that you just literally worked for free. Okay. You just spoke about at least stuff for four hours mm-hmm. and you didn't work for free because you just paid money for booze and me, I would buy everyone drinks. So I was really hit, hit, hit hard. You know, that's the kind <laughs> of guy I was. So, you know, that's another thing of like, when you get home, are you are the calls playing over again in your head? Like, did I do this right? Man, that was crazy, right? If they're there now, how are we going to disconnect that controller? Okay, are we going to go to the gym? Are we going to go for that walk without our phones so we can see the turtle? You know, you know, spirituality is huge. Giving it up, giving it up to God, giving it up to your higher power, right? Really focusing on like the bliss in life, the most beautiful things around us. There's a study that shows that. They took a few people outside for like 30 days and like the, in the woods and stuff and did things together. Their depression went down like eight, like tremendously. Like it was, it was, it's wild. So we got to remember that the little things in life can give us a bliss. But if we, if what we're aiming at is only what we're seeing, we're missing the beauty around us. So I really appreciate uh, everything you shared, uh, 10, eight. And that's kind of going to lead us to these final questions of the podcast. Jay, you ready? Born ready, baby. All right. You have one meal to eat for the rest of your life. Okay. And you don't have to worry about fat gain, muscle, muscle loss, anything like that. What are you going to eat every single day? Breakfast, lunch, Uh, dinner, man. So uh, there's, there's a couple different ways I want to go about it, but I think I'm going to stick with steak, potato, and some kind of green. I think that's where I'm going. Okay. Um, Oh yeah. I I was, I was leaning towards pasta, but I think, I think the acid would, 
piss me off a little bit. So, I mean, I love <laughs> pasta. I'm Italian. So, you know, pasta is my thing, but I think, I think you got so much balance with steak, potato and vegetables that we're just going to go with that. Can't go wrong. I like steak that. Steak and potatoes. That would actually mm-hmm. be mine too. But instead of potatoes, sweet potato, probably fries or waffle fries and asparagus right. yeah, yeah, all day. That's good too. Um, two workout movements to do for the rest of your life every day. Don't have to worry about recovery. Um, deadlift, definitely. Okay. And I would say it's either going to be eh, probably some form of walking running mix probably meaning heavier on the walking because again because i kind of get the mental clarity out of it yeah but yeah. and i just hate running but uh some kind of that maybe maybe like a little walk jog i think, okay. I think that's the first one we had jay yeah that's, that is the first one um one person to hang out with for the whole day um alive or passed away it could be anybody mm, i think i i have i have one of two um, so my dad passed away. So my dad got sick. He had a, he had many massive strokes, um, when I was starting when I was like 14. Um, and I've always said that I would love to hang out with my dad now when he was healthy. Mm. Um, he passed away when I was 27 and, you know, he kind of, you know, I, I spent time with him obviously as a caregiver kind of thing, like, you know, me taking care of him. But it wasn't the same than like, you know, when he was healthy and we, you know, I would, I went out with him when I was younger. Right. But it was obviously I'd, I'd like to be an adult hanging out with him. So there's that one. Um, or um, kind of a less serious, more fun. It would definitely be George Carlin. Um, oh, good one. Yeah. He is just, you know, again, actually my dad showed me George Carlin for the first time when I was younger, probably too young to know who George Carlin was, but um, he, um, his comedy and his commentary on life kind of really shaped my views on a lot of things in the world view. So I'd love to sit down with him for a, for an afternoon and just be like, Hey, what's going on now, man? Like, let's, let's get your take on this. So uh, either one of those, I think I'd be perfectly fine with. Last one. You come to New York, we fly in on the reps jet. Yeah. Maybe mm-hmm. one day we fly in. <laughs> we're bringing you to your nice little hotel we go in the hotel this sounds creepy right you open up the door and there's just <laughs> you open up the door and there's just like this big weird like funky machine type looking thing with a tarp over it okay we lift up the tarp and it's a fucking time machine mm-hmm. that me and jay were able to create if you can go back anywhere okay um, and I'll even give you the future on this one. Okay. You could go back yesterday. You could go back 10 years ago. You can go back a hundred years ago, a thousand years ago. You can go 20 years in the future as who you are in the present moment right now, where would you want to go? I would, I'm a history guy. So that that's always like a, a fun question. And I think about it. Um, <laughs> oh. Part of me, right. Wants to go back to like the frontier days and like go out West and like see when there's nothing out there. Uh, but that's, that was a very scary time, right? Because you never knew when the Native Americans would come out and, and just start. Like Lewis and Clark shit. Right, yeah. You never <laughs> yeah. knew when they were going to start st- taking scalps, right? So maybe not then. I mean, it'd be cool to see be taking the United States with nothing there. Um, but I think it's going to be uh, like the 50s, uh, like post-World War II World era. Oh, yeah, man. Like, like the, the American booming years when like things were good. 
Um, I think for the most part, I mean, obviously, you know, the more you learn about stuff, it wasn't as great as, you know, they try to tell people you. People made it seem, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, <laughs> I, I think that would be where I'd want to be. I wouldn't want to be in the, in the war era. Obviously, that was probably a scary time to be alive. So the post-war, uh, that would probably be where I go. Uh, nowhere nowhere yeah. in my life would I want to go. Like, it's not like I want to redo anything. I already did that. We're good. We don't have to. I, I try not to live with regrets anyway. Um, in the future, I like the surprise. So I don't want to jump ahead either. So um, I think we'll go with the 1950s. Take it. I'll take it. Yeah, I like that one. I think that's the, the that's one of the first ones. Actually, you got, I, I think I'm going to answer my own question there as I was thinking about like being, going back to World War II era but like being in the white house and like the government and everything, like, you know, did they really know like all the conspiracies, like, did they really know that about like the German Nazi movement? Right. And like, you know, all of like the, uh, Oh man, I just had it in my head. I'm blanking out on paperclip operation paperclip, mm-hmm. right? Like all of the German, uh, when the war was over, the scientists, the doctors yeah. that came over to the United States and changed their names and everything. Like, I would just like, you know, to learn would like to that. be yeah. that, I, uh, like, you know, like is is you know, is the U.S. really rigged? Like, did they know about Hitler? And they're like, ah, okay. And then they realize, like, okay, this is taken too far. Like, now we kind of have to do something. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And just a little plug for something that's not mine at all. But the Time Suck podcast does a great breakdown of Operation Paperclip. It's really interesting. So check that. Oh, out. you're gonna have to send I'm check that out. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. there was letters, but FDR and like Germany going back and forth before. So. Oh, yeah it's it's wild but anyway um we're here 1540 february 1st 2023 we ain't going anywhere uh, i appreciate everything you shared today man i'd love to, to have you as a guest speaker on responder talk uh, i think it would be a hit i think it would help out a lot of guys and girls yeah, uh, so we'll talk about that after and um just thank you for sharing your strengths your experience your hope you know you, when you're in the gates of hades when you're in the minute when you're in the labyrinth and fighting the minotaur you know and uh you made it out man stronger resilient you know whatever you want to call it and uh thank you for rocking that rep shirt with pride and always tagging us so uh, i appreciate it jay you got any last words for my man here no nah, man uh, uh i'm just very grateful to have been a part of this conversation dude uh we had spoke the other day and didn't know uh the stuff about the job stuff that he had went through so I appreciate you sharing that with us, dude, because I think somebody somewhere can um, relate to it. And I think it's going to make somebody stronger knowing that somebody else went through the same thing that you went through, man. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. And again, that's, that's kind of, like you said, speaking out is, is one thing, you know, um, trying to get, I told, I told Jason and Pat's family today, like I will scream their story from the mountaintops and you know, the, the lessons I've learned from that, if one person can take that and learn as well yep. uh, maybe they're in a similar situation then then it's all worth it yeah amen that's it out of the labyrinth we're still here uh appreciate you 108 please everybody if you listen share it around spread the word uh this is for you guys everyone uh stay safe god bless and uh give them hell.